Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Dr. Tim Philston's message is titled, A Silent Awe, as part of our Silent Night sermon series. The scripture passage for today is Hebrews 1, 1 through 10, which will help us answer the question, how do we keep the awe in awesome? through this series called Silent Night. We're letting Christmas speak for itself this season. This morning, a silent awe. A silent awe. One of the most famous things that Walt Disney said was this. I hope we never forget that all of this was started You hear the humility in that? The imagination picture of this mouse. He, he didn't make a mouse. He didn't dream up a mouse. But what can this mouse do? You know, you draw it on the edge of the page and you sort of make it do something different on each page and flip those pages. You remember doing that when you were a kid? Maybe? And through this little animation, through this imagination, through this mouse, here is this amazing dream of a world that Walt Disney created. Now, here is our world, our world, <clears throat> hurling through space, inhospitably cold, at 67,000 miles per hour around the sun. We are at 92 million miles from the sun, and yet we can sit and pour a Coke in our t-shirts in this kind of environment that, that God created for us, beginning with the end in mind, with a man in mind. It all started with Jesus, through whom all things were made. That's what John says. And so in some ways, God pictured the ideal person, the ideal humanity, when he created this space for us. And there's a certain humility that we need in order to awe again, in order for us to look at this creation and have a certain measure of, of fear and reverence over what he has made for us. You know, the composer, um, J.S. Bach, said that he didn't so much create music as he did discover it. When Edison came up with the, the light bulb, was, was he inventing it or was he taking what was already there and, 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 and finding in it some properties that, because of his reverence for creation, began to, to, to put uh, the dots together. When uh, George Washington Carver just spent his lifetime studying the peanut and found 300 different uses for it. What kind of awe and reverence did he have for the creation that God made for us? If we're going to put the awe back in awesome, if we're going to have a sense of awe and reverence and hold fear of what 
God has made for us and over ourselves and our own lives. We have to learn to hear God speak again through his Son. The Son is the one through whom all things have been made. The Son, the Son of God, is the one through whom we are being remade. What can you become when you get in touch again with this sense of reverent and holy fear, this awe over what he created you to be? From the Word of God, Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Hear God's word this morning. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him as a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels, angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, but a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you, the same, on your years, will have no end. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I heard a woman talking about the word awesome and how it had lost its meaning. You know, the Urban Dictionary says that the word awesome is a band-aid word for Americans with their limited vocabulary, right? It just sort of fills in the gaps. Oh yeah, awesome, awesome, yeah, that's awesome. This woman was saying that, uh, that uh, she had gone to a restaurant and the waiter came up or the server came up and said, hey, have you ever been here before? And she said, yes. And he said, oh, awesome. She thought, awesome? That I've come to your restaurant? Is that really awesome? Or is it just sort of welcome or good or fine? Okay. Interesting. But it's not awesome. She said later that week, somebody else used the word. She said, can I turn this into this uh, document from a Word document into a PDF? He said, 
He said, yes. And uh, isn't that awesome? She said, no, it's not really awesome. I mean, if everything is awesome, then nothing has awe. How do we get the awe back in awesome? How do we get the awe back in awesome? We have to let God speak to us again, inspire us again, through his son. That's the final word. The word he has spoken over us is the word made flesh. That's his final word to us. And so let's let, let's let the Son speak to us this morning of what we can become, of what you can become, first of all, each one of us, and then what we can become together. We're going to let the Son speak about what you can become and what we can become. First of all, what can you become when the Son speaks to you, when the Son is speaking and inspiring you and remaking you again, not because of what you're doing, not because of your performance, but because of his power, the power of his word. He has spoken, God has spoken, in many ways through the prophets in the Old Testament, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let's let that word speak to you this morning. When it speaks, not of your performance, but of what he has already done and intends to do in you and through you, you can become, you can become what you only dream you might become. Especially in an age when we when we feel sort of down about that. Maybe you feel down about what you've become. Maybe you've messed up this morning already. You know, like that, that guy that said, uh, he woke up in the morning, he said, uh, he said, Lord, I haven't messed up. I haven't lied to anybody. I haven't cheated. But in a minute, I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to need help, right? Maybe you feel kind of down about what your potential is. But when the sun speaks to you, when you let his power, the power of his word speak in you, rather than your performance, you can become. What he says, you're becoming. Dallas Willard says this. There's a guy named Bertram Russell who was a kind of famous atheist. He was talking about loving your enemies, right? Try that after you get out of bed in the morning, right? Loving your enemies. He said, that's, that's a nice, and Bertram Russell said, that's nice, but... You know, we just don't do very well doing it. It's a nice sentiment, but, I mean, nobody seems to do it very well. And this is what Willard says. He says, Dallas Willard says, Russell's fallacy is the fallacy of the Pharisees. Follow this, okay? Russell's fallacy. The problem with what Bertram Russell says there is the fallacy of the Pharisees. By now it should be recognizable. The Pharisees take as their aim, keeping the law. That's their aim, to keep the law, rather than becoming the kind of person whose deeds naturally conform to the law. Do you see the difference? You gotta see the difference. The Pharisees are, are saying, okay, here's the law, I'm gonna go do it. I'm gonna try harder. If I don't do it well, tomorrow I'm gonna try harder. I'm just gonna try harder. And try harder again. Because you're gonna keep the law. 
You know, in, in the Old Testament, the, the prophets were not so much predictors as they were uh, people who recalled people to the standard. Here's the standard of the law. Recalling people to try to line up with the law, to try to, to achieve that standard. But they always had in mind that the standard would be met, that there was a promise of a coming Messiah who would meet that standard and as a result, do the work that we cannot do, that we can only approximate. You see, the Pharisees were just trying to keep the law like the words on the page. But what Jesus does and what the prophets always intended, what God has always intended, is that the pressure is off is that he will do it. And when we trust in his power rather than trying harder and harder in our performance, he begins to do his thing. You know, Star Wars just came out and I've just got to quote something from Star Wars this morning, right? Yoda says, there is no try, right? And he says, there is no try. That's pretty good, come on. You try it. You try Yoda. There is no try. That's better. That's better. There is no try. Do or do not. There is no try. You know, uh, you know Lucas was borrowing from our, he was borrowing from the story of the ages. There is no try. Do or do not. There is no try. You see, when we trust in his power, the power of his word, the word he's spoken over you is a word of completion. Jesus Christ is the Messiah who fulfilled the work of the law. Then we're responding to what he's he's done already to please him. Our motives are different. Our drive is different. The capacity to be the kind of people who conform to the law is now enabled. Do you see it? No longer does your life hinge on your ability to keep the law. No longer does your sense of self-worth hinge on how well you did that day. The pressure's off. He's already done it. He's spoken through his son. Here's a guy named J.C. Penney who discovered this. J.C. Penney of the, the famous department stores. He made a mint, right? He was good at putting uh, dollars together. He was good at building things. He was good at creating things. And, and yet there was sort of an emptiness to his life. And J.C. Penney's wife died in the height of his career. And he began to question, now what, all, uh, what is all of this for again? I forgot. And in that pivotal moment of his life, he said, I had to pass through fiery ordeals before reaching glimmering conviction, the glimmering conviction, that it is not enough for people to be upright and moral. It's not enough. When I was brought to humility and the knowledge of dependence on God, sincerely and earnestly seeking God's aid, it was forthcoming it was forthcoming. God showed up. And a light illuminated my being. I cannot otherwise describe it than to say 
It has changed me as a man. You see, here's a man who no longer looked to the word that we read this morning as just a standard that requires a try, trying harder and harder, a performance. But there is a power in the word made flesh, spoken over your life, completed for your sake, so that by trusting in it, by shifting your weight from your performance to his power, you can be illumined by the light of his truth. And you can become the kind of person who naturally, joyfully, cheerfully, awesomely begins to live as one who conforms to the law, to see in it the great freedom of its direction and constraint. You see, God is reimagining you, reimagining you, as William Cowper said, deep in the unfathomable minds of never-ending skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. God has a treasure trove of imagination. Do you see it? Do you see it in yourself? Do you see the possibility, the capacity for you to become all that you dream you can become, to to be a person of, even just to be a simple person of quiet contentment and peace. To see striving and to know that he is God. You see, this is why God is speaking through his son, to remake you, to reimagine your life, to give you the confidence that he will do it. Second, not only can he recreate you in the likeness of his image in nature. You know, just imagining what, what this universe was created for in the first place with you in mind, with his son as the fulfillment of that in you. Together as a community, together as people of faith, we can become something awesome. We can, we can restore a sense of the awesomeness of his original intent for us when we don't rest upon, again, not on our performance, but on his providence, on his providence. He is the radiance of the glory of God, verse three. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. His power. God is powerful, authoritative. He upholds the universe by his power. In other words, there is, a, there is a certain kind of narrative. There's a story that makes sense of why things are broken and yet why things are so finely tuned for us, right? 67,000 miles per hour around the sun in this inhospitable, cold universe we have this warmth, we have this, this, uh, these, this fruit that comes in a single serving size. We have dogs that, are, that seem to like us and obey when we call, you know, I mean, some of them. You know, and and we, we, we have this, this environment, or, I mean, supply your own, through your own imagination, how amazing, how awesome, the awe of this creation designed around us, designed with us in mind. 
How do we tap into the power of his providence? Well, I'll tell you how we don't do it. (laughs) I'll tell you how we don't do it. We don't do it by becoming cynical. And here's my concern. Here's here's sort of the, the pivotal problem of the morning is cynicism. Some years ago, um, Beth stumbled on uh, a, a little um, morning update, a news feed update, and she said, oh, this is kind of sarcastic. It's called the skim. Have you seen the skim? <clears throat> or maybe take another example, Babylon Bee, which started out as satire, right? And satire is, is the idea that you're going to poke fun at people because you know they can be better, right? But cynicism says, this is bad, and I'm not going to get trapped in it. You see the difference? Babylon B kind of shifted about six months ago from satire to cynicism. A loss of hope, a loss of vision for what we can be despite the brokenness that we have. It's a loss of trust that God is powerful in his providence, that he's telling a story. From dust we came, to dust we shall return. But in the, me- in the meantime, while we dance on this earth, he's writing a story by his providence. He's writing history. And through our life together, he is able to bring about his sovereign will. You see... I want to pause for a minute, and I want to give you three options for how you can look at at the world around you. Two of them don't have any awe. Two of them have been robbed of their awe. The first, and it's three C's. And these are the, this is from Os Guinness, who is a, just a brilliant mind, a great scholar, a, a public intellectual, one of the best um, secret weapons that we have who... Who, who has written a new book, and in it he, he outlines these three ways that, that people have always sort of looked at uh, progress, human progress. The first is the cyclic view. It's just the myth of the eternal return, or Siddhartha, Buddhism, or, um, or the Iliad, or... Uh, or, or any number of Taoism, all of these different, Hinduism, all these different isms that just fashion our minds around this cycle that doesn't seem to go anywhere, cyclical. That's, that's one of the C's. The second C is chronological, that, lot, that time and progress is linear, all right? And that that it's going somewhere, but it really hinges upon our ingenuity, right? And, and if, if, if we're going... Now, now, Owen Barfield, uh, great scholar and, 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 and theologian of the 19th century, he, he said, we, we must take care that we don't look at the past with chronological snobbery. In other words, we think that because we're the ones who are living today that we've got it all figured out and the people in the past don't. Or we, we, we begin to say, you've got to be on the right side of history, right? And if you're not, you're a bigot. And we begin to fashion our, our minds and our idea of human progress according to human ingenuity. 
The arrogance of that is going to be on our, our undoing. The arrogance of that is going to be our undoing. This view, this chronological view is plaguing us today. It's the idea that through human ingenuity alone, we can right all wrongs, and you better get on board or you're a bigot. Well, we could have said that when we discovered nuclear power before we discovered the nuclear weapon that comes with it. You see what I'm saying, the example? The nature of human progress doesn't hinge on our ingenuity. It requires a covenantal narrative. That's the third C. You see, if, if we begin to think that by our own ingenuity, by our own sense of progress, by our own sensibilities, that we can make things better, by what standard? By whose standard? We don't even measure up to our own standards and we think that we can come together and we can fix everything. That's why there is this thing called dystopia, why Andrew Huxley wrote his book, why 1984 was written, why all of these dystopic narratives have cropped up in the last 10 years. And without the narrative, what do we have? We have a sense of cynicism and we leverage it. You know, see, the people who are buying into this chronological linear view that through our own ingenuity, we can make everything better, they believe that like Atlas, if you just get a lever big enough, we can move the world. It's why people are beginning to creep towards a totalizing view of government, that, that if we can just get enough power to the government, we can fix everything. Well, a government big enough to fix everything is a government big enough to take everything away. You see, I'm not, I'm not trying to distract you with politics. Don't get, don't get sidetracked there. I'm just using it as an example of how do you look at human progress? See, the narrative that we have here, that God is, that his providence is at work in us, that, that brings us together around a common story, a common good, a common narrative. It's something that can bring us together. And so if we're progressing, then if, and we're calling ourselves progressives, if you do, what are you progressing towards? Whose standard? Are you progressing towards God's standard? And if you're conservative, what are you conserving? Are you conserving, are, are you conserving the story here that is really a story of a revolution? That God is turning things on their head, that God is in and through you, changing you from the inside out? Are you conserving that kind of revolutionary view of God's power through his word? So if you're a conservative, what are you conserving? If you're a progressive, what, by what standard? And see, we reduce life to these sort of human categories when what we need is a God-sized covenantal narrative that makes sense of our life. This is what we celebrate in this season. This is the manger. This is the story of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. It's a covenantal view that brings us together in ways we cannot 
begin to dream. God has already dreamed it for us. It all began, not with a mouse, but with a man. Let me close with this picture of what it looks like when people give themselves over to the covenant story of creation that God speaks and makes, uses to reorder us together in our life together. 20 years ago last night, 20 years ago last night, I was on a bus. I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell you something different about it. I was on a bus uh, traveling back from Crested Butte. I had planned with about six other churches a retreat, a ski retreat for youth. There were six buses traveling down uh, the highway towards Canyon City out of Buena Vista. And uh, around mile marker 278, we hit a patch of ice, and our bus went from 65 miles per hour to 70 miles per hour, spun around, and then rolled down almost you know, 100 feet down, but then 250 feet beyond that into a ravine. The bus, when I woke up, the bus was upside down and crushed, and I couldn't remember what was going on. My, my consciousness was going in and out like a lighthouse. And I remember standing there looking at this thing and thinking, are my wife and kids on that bus? They weren't, by the way, sorry, if you've not heard this story before, they weren't. They were back at home in Houston where we were at the time. And, and I stared at that bus and I thought, I'm just going to stand here until I get this part of it straight. And then all of a sudden I remembered what happened. And then I noticed, and this was late at night, it was negative four degrees, there was snow all over the, the hillside. And people began to gather together and we pulled coats out and we, we kept each other warm. And uh, one little girl who's giving her testimony in the church where I first served this morning about that night and about God's faithfulness, she, uh, she, she was uh, the one first to get out of the ravine and flag down a car, and within 15 or 20 minutes, personnel had you know, descended upon us and brought us out. And over the next year, I watched our church become something I only imagined it could become. People laid aside their petty differences. People self-sorted into their strengths and passions. People took their resources and said, what can I do and how can I do it and how quickly can I get it done? And in an amazing window of time, I saw that picture of the Acts 1-8 church of holding all things in common because of the work of the Spirit. You see, this is God's covenantal vision for us as a community of faith. This is why. This is why we need to let his word speak. Why we need to give the scriptures its own voice. Why we need to recognize that what he's saying, he's saying through his son. And what he has said through his son, he can say through you. He can say in and through us. He's already done it. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the fact that you uphold this world in the providence and the power of your will.
Lord, may we in humility this season surrender again to it that your power may be found in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.